Well, good evening. Good to see you all. A warm welcome to those of you online as well as you join our service. If you're a visitor, great to have you with us. And uh, I'd especially like to welcome Pete and Jenny uh, this evening. Thanks so much for coming. Uh, They're from Binscombe and Pete is speaking to us this evening. So we're looking forward to hearing what he's got to say to us from God's word. And uh, we're looking this evening uh, at Nehemiah chapter 1. And the title he's given us is Passion and Prayer. Passion and Prayer. So looking forward to hearing what he's got to say about that. So, yeah, thank you for joining us and serving us in this way. Well, let's pray and ask God to help us this evening. Father, we thank you again for the privilege of being able to uh, join together this evening and to be able to meditate on your word and to worship you, to sing together. Lord, we thank you that you made us to have community, to relate to one another, and to bless one another and encourage one another as we do so. And Lord, I pray uh, that it would be a special evening this evening. And Lord, we pray especially that you would meet with us. Lord, I pray that you'd be with Pete. Lord, thank you so much for his willingness to come and join us and uh, for what you've done in his life. And Lord, we pray that you'd be with him as he speaks to us this evening. Lord, that you would speak through him to us. So Lord, do be with us and help us. Give us ears to hear, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing. Uh, The nations are raging, aren't they? It's very clear. And uh, if you look through the, the whole of history, you just see it. The nations raging against each other. But, but there's one king that we have, isn't there, that still reigns the Ancient of Days. And we're going to sing and we're going to praise that king uh, now. So when the music starts, let's stand and we'll worship Jesus together.
Well, we're going to read now the passage uh, that Pete's going to be speaking on, uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. In the Church Bibles, it's page 398, 398. So, Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, it happened in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. We're going to sing again by faith. Um, Can I just read the second verse? By faith... Our fathers roam the earth with the power of his promise in their hearts of a holy city built by God's own hand, a place where peace and justice reign. Well, we're going to stand and sing in a moment. And then after that, uh, Pete's kindly agreed to give us a bit of an update on uh, the work at Binscombe.
good evening. Uh, it's great to be here um, with you again. Um, it's always a, a joy to come back to Forest Fold. Those of you who don't know us, we, uh, Jenny was brought up here. Um, I was converted here um, a number of years, well, many years ago now. Um, so lots of fond memories um, of here. Um, we're in Binscombe. Uh, Binscombe is about three miles south of Guildford. If you know where Guildford is, we're not too far away. Um, and we're a local church just like you. Um, uh, we're on the, in the middle of an estate, uh, an estate where there's quite a lot of deprivation around us, but surrounding the estate is incredibly wealthy. So we have a, socioeconomically, it's a very diverse church um, and community. Um, and we've been there now 17 years. Uh, a few things, just uh, thank you for your prayers for us and your interest in the church. It's always a uh, always for humble sharing uh, when I come here. Um, but a few things, just to give thanks for, to encourage um, us this evening. Um, over the last little while, we've seen a number of people come to faith, which has been wonderful. So we've got a number of baptisms coming up um, from um, a lady who's been in our church for before we came. Um, not quite sure whether she was where she was before before God. Since the pandemic, over the last few years, just a real softening in her heart, and she's come to faith. That's just such a joy. Another lady, um, a younger lady, who um, been converted many years, I think, but just never kind of got around to getting baptised and just seeing the need for that. And so that's been a, been a joy too. Um, to another lady who uh, we had contact with through our, our youth work. She sent her children to youth work. Um, she started coming to a Bible study. Um, and again, the Lord has wonderfully opened her heart. Um, to another uh, man who's also considering um, baptism, um, who was brought up in a Christian home, has lived a, a wild life, um, and really was resisting God many, many years. And over recent years, God has done a wonderful, a very uncomfortable work in his life, but um, a wonderful saving work, and um, he's come to saving faith. Uh, to another lady who's, uh, again, just comes from a real sense of brokenness and um, in, in interpersonal relationships, but has found a home within church family, and again, the Lord has just opened her heart and she's come to faith. So we're really, really encouraged. Um, it makes it sound like everyone's getting converted around us all the time. That's not the case. We, we haven't seen you know, baptism for a little while. So we're, we're really encouraged at that. Um, so praise God. Um, we want to praise God for a real sense of unity in the church and a sense of purpose. Um, as you want to do here, we want to know Jesus and make him known. And that's just a real sense of being unified around doing that in our church family. And we're so thankful to God for that. Um, many of you know that um, it seems like forever we've been, we've been planning to knock our building down and build bigger. We basically don't fit in anymore, um, which is a brilliant problem to have. And we got planning permission in 2015. And we've been fundraising ever since then. Um, well, this past week, um, we have literally just moved out of our old building. Um, I'm based in an office about a mile away um, now, and the building is just empty. Um, we've got uh, um, a project manager who's working on this. We're hoping to start the rebuild um, finally around March time. So praise God for that. Um, and praise God for, I mean, it, these things don't come cheap. It's about what, 2.1 million pounds, this project. Um, it's a complete knockdown, complete rebuild to maximize our site and to fit in our church family. We had a, a final service there 
couple of weeks ago, and um, we were thankful for a, a fine day because we, we don't have any social space, so we, we filled up all the church, and then we were, we were able to sit, um, go outside for lunch afterwards, which was lovely. Um, this last month, we've been gathering match funders. We're doing a match funding campaign to try and kind of push us over the line to get to 2.1 million. We're about, we think about 250,000 short. And so, over the last month, we've had a number of people come on board as match funders um, to the tune of 90,000 so far. And then in November, we're doing, actually starting next Sunday, we're launching um, a giving campaign, um, which we're calling Your Donation Doubled. So the idea is that for every penny we give, our match funders, with what they pledged, they will match that. And it's a kind of an incentivizing thing to get us... um, fundraising as a church family uh, to try and make that um, final push. And I think really um, a big prayer point for us is that, and what we keep on saying to the church family, is that this is a, a gospel resource. The church is not the building. The church is the people. Now, if you're a believer, you know that. But when you're involved in a building project, it's really, really easy for that to become the big main thing. And so we're trying to, so a good prayer for us would be that we keep it about the kingdom of God, building the kingdom of God, that the building is just a rain shelter. I mean, hopefully quite a nice rain shelter, but and a suitable one that's comfortable for, for our church family and for mission for generations to come. Um, but that's where we're at, at as a church, and we'd value your prayers for that. We have so much to thank God for. And I think we'd value prayer. And what we've been saying to the church family is, look, wouldn't it be wonderful if the Lord just poured out his spirit on our community, on our friends and family, so that by the time we're due to go into the new build, around October, around this time next year, God willing, that actually we're struggling to fit into that. When I say that kind of thing in our church, some people raise their eyebrows and say, really, do we really want to pray that? That we won't fit into the new build? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Um, so um, we'd value your prayers for that. Um, thanks for your prayers for us. Um, thanks for having us tonight. Well, we are going to pray for them in, in just a moment. Uh, just to say, uh, this has been on the, the bulletin, and many of you will have heard this already, but in case you missed it, Muriel Fermer uh, passed away peacefully this last Tuesday morning. So as we pray, we'll also uh, give thanks for her life and uh, remember those who loved her. Well, let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are the Ancient of Days. Lord, you have ruled throughout history and you will continue to rule forever. And we thank you for that confidence that we can have in you. And yet, Lord, even though you are the Ancient of Days, even though you rule over all things, yet, Lord, you know us intimately. You care about us. You know everything about us. And we thank you for that. Lord, we remembered this morning, Lord, that you set us free from slavery to sin. You redeem us and you protect us. You adopt us. You give us an eternal inheritance. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that whether that's the first time we've really heard that, or whether it's the thousandth time, Lord, I pray that that would be so special to us. And that we'd want to keep on hearing it because that's what we need. 
Lord, we thank you so much that you are not just the God here at Forest Fold, but you are the God worldwide. And we thank you that as part of that, Lord, you are the God of Binscombe. And we thank you so much for what we've just heard, Lord, that you are at work. And uh, Lord, we do not underestimate the power it takes to soften hearts to the gospel and to transform lives. And Lord, some of those have taken a long time. And I'm sure there have been times when those who have been trying to bless them and help them have felt their weakness and inadequacy in that. And yet, Lord, we thank you that you have been at work in their hearts and that you've opened their hearts. And we thank you for that encouragement. Lord, we thank you for Pete and Jenny and for all those who serve in the church and for their faithful service to you. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are working and encouraging them. And we pray for more. Lord, we pray that you would work in that place. Lord, we've just been thinking about the building work. Lord, we thank you so much for the money raised already. Lord, we pray that they would reach that total. Lord, we thank you for people's generosity. And Lord, we pray that that would be a tremendous gospel resource. And as Pete said, even though it might cause some real problems, Lord, we pray that actually that building may be too small because of the work you do in that community. Lord, we thank you that they've been there 17 years now. And Lord, who knows uh, that the gospel seeds that have gone out, that are maybe growing without realising, without many people realising, just quietly. Lord, we just pray for more gospel impact in that place. Lord, work, I pray. Encourage them more, I pray. Lord, all for the honour of Jesus Christ that his name may be lifted up in that place. And Lord, we thank you for the unity of that church. And we pray that that would continue as they get to know Jesus more and as they seek to make him known. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you're at work. And Lord, there are other testimonies too of people in other places where you are at work too. And we thank you. And we find it exciting, Lord, that you are on the move. So Lord, do continue to bless them in their work there, I pray. Lord, we do thank you as well at this time for the life of Muriel Firma. Lord, we thank you for how she served this church for so many years, so faithfully cleaning week after week by herself. Lord, we thank you for her. And we pray that you really, uh, really comfort those who loved her and that you will help those who are uh, doing the bits and pieces that need to be done now. Lord, do help them and bless them. Thank you for their love for her. And so, Lord, we thank you for her life. Lord, we pray as well for Wendy Cowley in hospital at the moment. Lord, we thank you for those who are caring for her. Lord, I pray that you would guide them. Lord, I pray that you would help her and give her real peace. Pray that you bless John and Esther at this time as well, in their concern and in their care as well. Lord, bless them. Thank you for them. Lord, we also bring before you the Unashamed Conference on Saturday. Lord, we thank you that so many people are gathering to think about how they can share Jesus. And Lord, we pray for the main conference. Lord, I pray that there'd be a real time of encouragement, of fellowship, of good training, um, that it may be at a real time of uh, usefulness for your kingdom. And I pray as well for the youth work. 
as well. As we do that, Lord, that that would be useful, Lord, that you bless them. Lord, there, there may be people coming along who know all about you in their heads, but don't really know you in their hearts. And Lord, I pray that there may be lives changed as, as kids come to know you in their hearts this Saturday. And Lord, I pray that you be with us here as well as we have the fireworks Saturday evening. Lord, I pray for safety. Um, Lord, help us not to take it for granted, these things. Lord, we pray for your help with that. And Lord, we pray that it would be a really good evening. The weather would be good and it would be a great opportunity to invite people along and chat to people. So Lord, we come and we pray that you'd be with us this evening. Lord, do be with Pete, especially as he speaks to us. Thank you for um, helping him in the prep so far. I pray that as he speaks, he'll be uh, clear, that he'll have clarity of mind, that you'll strengthen him, fill him with your spirit, Lord, I pray. And help us as we listen. Lord, give us hearts that are tender, ready to listen, ready to obey, ready to take in what you're saying to us. So Lord, speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before Pete comes and speaks to us, we're going to sing again. Uh, It's a song that I think you'll understand why Pete's chosen it. Restore, O Lord, the honour of your name.
you could turn back to um, Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. So Nehemiah chapter 1, we're thinking about Nehemiah's passion for God and how that turned into prayer to God um, this evening. There are some things um, that are so big in our lives that they change our lives forever. There's like before and after. So in the Bible, we could think of some examples. So um, there's runaway Moses. He's looking after his sheep in in the desert and God appears to him in a burning bush. And his life is never the same again. Or there's young David, he's looking after his dad's sheep. The prophet Samuel calls for him, anoints him king, and his life is changed forever. Or there's Gideon, living under an oppressive regime. He's afraid, he's timid. But the angel of the Lord appears to him, and he becomes a new man, fighting God's battles. Tonight we've got Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a, or was a Jewish exile under the 5th century BC Persian king Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah had risen to power in the Persian Empire. He was the king's cupbearer. That's one of the most trusted servants of the king. Of the king who's one of the most powerful men in the world at the time. But one day, around November or December, 446 BC, God-fearing Nehemiah, in his secure, his prestigious job, his safe job, he hears some news that changes his life focus and direction forever. It ignited his passion for God. Let's listen to the news that he heard And this is news that we need to hear. It's our first main thing I want us to see this evening. There is news that we need to hear. But let's look at what news changed Nehemiah. Look at verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, just the context of that is that Jerusalem was devastated by the Babylonians 140 years earlier. 90 years earlier, the first pioneers, they had returned from exile in Babylon with a man called Zerubbabel and they rebuilt the temple from the ruins. Just 12 years previous to this, the great Bible teacher Ezra, he'd returned to Jerusalem to call people to spiritual and social reform. And over the years, they'd they'd made a bit of a start on rebuilding the city walls. But King Artaxerxes, so that's Nehemiah's boss, 
influenced by hostile locals, he put a stop to the rebuilding work in Jerusalem. Nehemiah thought that the rebuild was well underway, but now he hears that Jerusalem is this pathetic heap of rubble. The walls are broken down, the gates are still burned with fire, and the people there, they're in trouble, they're in disgrace. And Nehemiah is devastated. He's overwhelmed by what he hears, this news. Here is some other news. Jesus wants his church to display his glory to the world. To display his salvation to the world. So, for example, in the words of Psalm 67, which prays for God to be gracious to us, his people, to bless us, to make his face shine on us. Why is that? So that God's ways may be known on earth. God's salvation might be known among the nations. That is a glorious vision. It's an overwhelming vision. Jesus died to make a glorious church. But what is the word on the street about Jesus' church? Let me read to you um, from a political columnist in a national newspaper commenting on the church. Just bear with me, it's a little long, but I think it's worth um, hanging in there. Over the past generation, a process of demoralisation has set in among the clergy. Watching their flocks diminish, they have tended to hold less strongly to their own convictions, or rather, they have found secular substitutes for a dogmatic religious faith, which is waning. In place of the Christianity of the Ten Commandments, they have put their Christianity of social welfare. Sometimes they behave as though they were little more than social workers. They are almost invariably well-meaning, progressive-minded, humanitarian, caring and compassionate. But there is nothing more to distinguish these high-minded from any other category of do-gooders. They are manifestly not divinely inspired. There's not much faith in their hearts or fire in their bellies. And it shows... It seems to me there is absolutely no future for the church as a social welfare institution. At the same time, the church has watered down its teaching on almost all aspects of morality. People turn to God not in order to seek their own materialist earthly desires, but surely to escape from them. The church is meant to offer something which is better and ennobling. Christianity is not a secular crusade for social improvements. It's an alternative to materialism. The notion that it can be democratised and popularised is nonsense. It operates on the frontiers of human understanding and makes heroic demands of its adherents. That indeed is precisely its appeal because it is so totally different from anything else to be found in the world. Of course, to preach this kind of Christianity requires a passionate faith which is very uncharacteristic of many churchmen, preferring the techniques of modern religious sociology, they are getting absolutely nowhere. That's uncomfortable to hear, isn't it? An observation from someone who's not a believer on looking in, in, on the church scene in the UK. 
And we need to hear this news. People notice where there's apathy, where there's compromise. And more generally, Jesus' glorious church for which he died is seen by the world as lacking impact, irrelevant in our world. And I want to say this evening that I think this is, this is the equivalent, I think, isn't it, of the walls being down, the gates being burned with fire. We could express it in, in other ways, give other illustrations, but there is great trouble and disgrace to the church. And this is news we need to hear. And there are indeed tears that we need to cry. A renewed passion for God brings tears. Look at Nehemiah in verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now what I've just read to you is a, a, a secular writer observing that in parts of the professing church it looks very worldly. Compromised with the culture. When it's meant to be different. It's meant to be distinct. Calling the world to something radically better. Saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that bit of writing was actually written over ten years ago. And we've come a long way. And today, we're seeing mainstream denominations selling out to liberal values and beliefs. Ignoring and denying the Bible's clear teaching for something that feels more acceptable to the changing values of the world around us. And it's getting them nowhere. As we see mainstream denominations shrinking I'm told that over the last 30 years, the Church of England has halved in size. And we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in the Church of England, evangelicals, who are doing a wonderful job seeking to hold fast the truth of the Gospel in a group of churches where so many are turning away from the Word of God. It may be that we're not compromising on the Bible's teaching But don't you find at a personal lifestyle level we can so easily just live very worldly. So the world doesn't really get to know of God's ways and God's salvation from my life and my words. I often find this personally that there's a lack of passion for God where there should be. I really praise God for what God has done here at Forest Fold in my own conversion and life over the years. And praise God for so many people baptised here, discipled here, going on with Jesus here. But I wonder, have you, tonight, have you got a heavy heart for the thousands and thousands of people around you? who are lost, who are without Christ. 
And we need to see, we need to feel the enormity of this. Because unless we have wept over the ruins, like Nehemiah, where, where people see Jesus' church as at best a group of people who do good, but who fail to see their personal need of salvation, unless we see the ruins of that, we'll not make the life changes needed to build Jesus' church. We need to see the reality of lost people going to hell. And Jesus' glorious and heaven-bound church, largely marginalised as irrelevant in our culture, or at worst, harmful. And we need that to overwhelm us. So like Nehemiah, grieved and red-eyed in the dust, we turn to the only one we can turn to. We need God. It's basic. It's as basic as that. Think of this. Nehemiah wasn't the last person to weep over Jerusalem. 500 years later, in the week leading up to his death, the Lord Jesus looked out over the rebellious city of Jerusalem and like Nehemiah, he couldn't hold back the tears. Tears over the spiritual trouble that gripped the people. Tears over the disgrace of sin in people's lives. Tears of love, tears of compassion. Tears that motivated Jesus to go to the cross and to suffer hell that we deserve instead of us. If you're a Christian here this evening, let Jesus' tears for you ignite your passion and transform your life priorities to make him, not this world, your delight. Because that's where the change comes. The change in our hearts comes from the tears, the love, the cross of Christ for us. See what costly sacrifice it was for Jesus. For him to make his glorious, world-blessing, joy-of-the-earth people, his church. And then see the disgrace of the church that we're regarded as humbug by the world. And we should cry out, this should not be. And like Jesus, we weep over those we know and love who reject Christ. But, but as well as we, we, we have somewhere to go with our tears. We turn to God in prayer. You know, that, that Forest Fold, that Binscombe Church is not overflowing with people Sunday by Sunday that thousands are without Christ that Jesus' church is not seen by so many as the hope of the world should make us weep and should make us pray well let's learn from Nehemiah we need God, here's how we turn to God in prayer let's think about prayer to God passion for God and now prayer for God. And um, this is a wonderful model prayer in the rest of chapter 1. 
And we're going to simply look at four directions that Nehemiah takes in his prayer. He looks up, he looks in, he looks back, and he looks forward. Let's look at those four things. So first of all, look up. Look up to the awesome and loving God. It's there in verses 5 and 6. I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. You see that? The problem is so big for Nehemiah. He's he's got to look somewhere bigger than himself. He looks up to God. He lifts his eyes to God. The God of heaven. The great and awesome God. Our only hope. The faithful one. And if only we could see this clearly. I I, I feel that so often I'm blind to this. We need heaven's power. I mean, every Christian knows that, right? Right? But often we we live as though we don't know that. We need heaven's power, heaven's resources, heaven's conviction for us as God's people to be restored and impactful and a well-blessing community that we're called to be. A community that displays the glory and the love of God in, in the face of Christ to the world, makes God famous in the lives of people around us. We need heaven's power, heaven's resources, heaven's conviction for the apathy and the cynicism of our communities and our friends and our family to be turned into faith. When you know that, and you know people that you're loved ones you want to share the gospel with, and it feels like banging your head against a brick wall, there are tears. We need heaven's power. If, if Forest Hall Church, Binscombe Church, churches throughout the South East, throughout the UK, are to be the joy of the earth, we need God to move in convicting power in revival. In 1856, James, James McQuillan was converted in Ulster. And he soon led three friends to Christ. They started a weekly prayer meeting and a Bible study. Throughout the winter of 1857 to 1858, they prayed. And on New Year's Day, 1858, they saw their first person they prayed for come to saving faith. By the end of that year, the prayer meeting had grown to 50 people. This is how they described their prayers. For an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon ourselves and upon the surrounding country. This is one of the great objects and burdens of our prayers. Sorry, this was the one great object and burden of our prayers. We held right to the one thing and did not run off to anything else. And do you know they were laughed at by other people for for that being the focus of their praying? Just, Just a bit too enthusiastic and big vision and he said we kept right on praying until the power came and it did come 
by the end of the following year, a hundred thousand people became Christians in Ulster. As God poured out his spirit. What did they do? I mean, it's profoundly simple, isn't it? They looked up to the awesome, loving God. And they prayed expectantly. And then, who knows, anything can happen. Because he is, verse 5, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love. So, Nehemiah looks up to the awesome, loving God. Secondly, he looks in with humble confession. I wonder if you've noticed, when, when you get serious about looking up to God, one thing that happens is you become more aware of your sin in the presence of our holy God. That's what happens to Nehemiah in verse 6. He prays, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. It would be really, really easy for Nehemiah at this point, hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, to distance himself from the disgrace of God's people. But isn't it striking that instead he humbly confesses his own personal guilt? I wonder if you notice that here. He recognises that he is part of the problem. So, Jesus' church today is the way it is today for good or for bad because of you and because of me. Right, I think that's something we have to draw from this point here, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to say, isn't it, to, to kind of to spot the failures of fellow believers around us. Or to talk of the church as though it's some kind of impersonal institution. But the church is you. The church is me. It's believers. And it means that when there is failure and there's sin in the church, we need to not only confess it in a general sense, but humbly confess the part that we play. Our sins. Our responsibility. Maybe for turning a blind eye to early warning signs we spotted. Or for being just an unhelpful worldly example in the church family. Or for not having the courage to talk to a brother or sister who we did see were, were beginning to struggle in sin and worldliness and stray, but we never went after them lovingly. And we spotted apathy or prayerlessness or materialism. So where we need to, we need to confess to God our sin our failure to grasp the desperate need of people without Jesus, our worldly lack of tears for the glory of God, a lack of prayer for God to restore his church. And where 
we confess our sins. Be encouraged. We, we know that because of the loving tears of Jesus at the cross, because of those tears, there's forgiveness. And so we, we, we bask in that. And we let his loving forgiveness as we repent of our sins and turn again to, to Christ. We let our forgiveness grow in us a heart for his glory and honour. There's our third thing from Nehemiah here. He looks back, pleading God's honour. Look at verse 8. And I just love the way Nehemiah prays here. Verse 8. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my name dwell there. So, that God had committed himself to his people. That even if they returned to him after going into exile, he'd bring them back to Jerusalem. And in part, God had already done that. I mean, the temple worship had been re-established. But they were in disgrace. And so Nehemiah reminds God, look at verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Can you see what Nehemiah is doing here? He is pleading God's honour. He's pleading God's honour. He's saying, God, your honour is bound up with your people. That Jerusalem is a broken ruins. Means that the world thinks you're powerless and distant. He's saying, God, they're your people. You own them. You rescued them from Egypt. And when you did that, the world gazed in amazement. God, your glory is bound up with what's happening to your people today. For your own honour, forgive us and restore us. And of course the same is true for us today as Christians. We bear the name of Christ. Christians, we're Christ followers. And so let's pray, God, We're your servants. We're your people. You redeemed us through the precious blood of Jesus. And you've said if we return to you, if we confess our sins to you, you will forgive us our sins. You will cleanse us. God, you promised. The cross of Jesus assures us your honour is at stake. So please forgive us. Please restore us. Please renew us so that our lives might display your great strength, might display your great power and make you famous as people whose lives are surrendered to you. That your ways, your salvation might be known among the nations. You see the passion for God's honour that Nehemiah has. How he prays into that. He pleads God's honour. And when we catch a passion for the honour of God, it results in us praying very personal, extraordinary and life-changing prayers. And we're going to end with this. Where Nehemiah in his prayer, he looks forward 
with confident purpose. Look at verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Now we know from chapter 2 that on this day, Nehemiah is going to go into work and he is going to ask his boss, the king, if he can step down from his prestigious life as king's cupbearer. Why? So that he can return to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, a project that his boss one of the most powerful men in the world, had personally put a stop to. I mean, can you see why he needs to pray? That's no small deal, is it? Chapter 2, verse 1. Just have a look at it. It tells us the date. And actually, this, this date is four months. It's four months since Nehemiah first heard the news of Jerusalem's disgrace. If you compare chapter one verse, sorry, chapter two verse one with chapter one verse one, there's a, there's a four month um, gap there. So chapter um, one verse four, he spent the, the, the four months fasting and weeping and praying. That's the time scale. And in that time, God's spirit moved in him. His holy discontent became unstoppable. And it dawned on him, on him something very simple, very personal, that he was to be the answer to his prayers. He is to give himself to the messy, hard work of God's purpose for him in the next stage of his life. Building God's kingdom, building the city of Jerusalem. And so he prays the prayer to God, God, would you make this possible today before this man? He prays, looking forward. Because what he's begun to see, in the big picture of God's plans, he's begun to see how his little life fits in. And the part that God is calling him to play. play. So here's a question as we come to an end tonight. What are the big, forward-looking prayers you're praying I mean, it, I very much doubt it involves going and rebuilding a city. I mean, not, not that kind of big. But big in the kingdom of God today. The building Jesus' kingdom. I mean, are there any prayers that you're praying like that? Prayers with confident purpose about the part that God is calling you to play. And, and as we think about this, let's remember that what often seems small in the world's eyes is huge in God's eyes. If you're going out of here tonight saying, God, would you use me to encourage so-and-so who's struggling with addiction or depression or whatever it might be, or someone who's drifting, that is a huge kingdom prayer to pray. 
it's seeing the part that God is calling you to play in building his kingdom today. And such prayers come from tears over lost people. Tears over the disgrace of Jesus' glorious, heaven-bound church being so despised by the world around us. As we see that our God is an awesome God. He is great. He's, he's the loving God of heaven. Such prayers come from tears that drive us to our needs, to cry out to him, confessing our apathy, our worldliness, pleading his promise of forgiveness and asking his blessing to pour out on us. Tears that transform us so that we pray prayers that clearly see that we have a part to play, a privileged part to play in building his kingdom. Like Nehemiah, looking forward with confident purpose. Let's pray together. I'm going to pray um, to wrap up some of the things that we've thought about this evening. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. O God, change our hearts where our priorities are self-centered today. May you have our lives, our education, our career, our retirement, our leisure time, our family, our money, our talents, sacrifices that please you. May they be surrendered to you as vehicles to share the wonderful news of Jesus to build his church. Because of the costly tears, the love, the cross of Jesus, transform our hearts so we make you not this world our delight. Lord, you are worthy of this. We rejoice, Lord, that you call us into relationship with you. So may our lives, life priority be to see the city, the church of God rebuilt, to see Jesus' church restored, revived from the ruins, the hope of the world. God, we pray, would you be gracious to us? And would you bless us? Would you make your face shine upon us? That your ways may be known on earth your salvation among the nations. We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. We're going to sing our closing hymn this evening. Um, and uh, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And We've been thinking about the different directions we turn. And uh, this is a wonderful hymn which encourages us to turn our eyes in certain directions. So verse 1, turn your eyes upon Jesus. We're looking up, we're turning our eyes up. We're lifting our eyes. Um, the next verse talks about um, turning our eyes to the hillside. And the following verse, turning our eyes to the morning. We're looking back to the death, the resurrection of Christ. So turn your eyes back in history. And then the last verse says, turn your eyes to the heavens, looking forward to when Jesus returns. So notice those different directions that we Turn our eyes as we sing 
this final hymn. Thanks, Joe. we need to do that to turn our eyes to you to lift our eyes to you for Lord as we've looked at your words this evening you've searched our hearts we've felt something of the tension 
of living in this world. Surrounded by those that we know and love and many who we don't know who are far from you. And so we pray that you'd awaken us where we've become worldly and apathetic, that there might be tears that we need to cry. But Lord, we pray that that burden, we would turn into prayer and cast ourselves upon you, our only hope. And we thank you so much that you are sufficient for us. You are enough for us. And so, Lord Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. We turn our eyes back to that hillside where you died in our place, Lord Jesus. Back to that garden that morning where you rose. And we turn our eyes forward to that day when your glory will part the skies. And you'll bring in your new creation. You'll complete your saving work. We pray, Lord, that these wonderful realities of the gospel would shape our hearts and our lives this week. And we pray this for your glory in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.